Hello and welcome to Hogan Lovell's Newsbeat, the podcast designed to keep you up to date with what's been happening in the world of pensions over the last two weeks. I'm Claire Southern from the HL team and I'll be taking you through the twists and turns of the last 14 days. I hope you all had a good Christmas break and are fighting fit for the year ahead. We'll be kicking off 2024 with the new single code, highlights from the finance bill and some interesting determinations from the pensions ombudsman on surplus distribution. But first up, some gossip from Blackpool, which is of course the home of the new pensions minister, Paul Maynard. Paul was appointed as the pensions minister in November, but he is now embroiled in a complaint regarding the use of his constituency office and photocopier. Now, MPs are given public funds to allow them to have an office and facilities to serve their constituency, but there are strict rules in place that mean these publicly funded services can't be used for party political purposes. It seems that a complaint has been made to IPSA, who are responsible for overseeing MPs' expenses, raising concerns that the office has been used by the local Conservative Association. Now, the pensions minister has responded by saying that there are formal agreements in place that regulate the arrangements and that IPSA were aware of the situation because he contacted them back in 2022 about it. IPSA have, however, referred the matter to its complaints team. So we wait to see if it's anything more than a storm in a teacup and whether we're likely to hang on to this new pensions minister. So the big news on the block is that the pensions regulator has finally published the general code of practice. Listeners will no doubt know that this is something of a mammoth tomb, designed to bring together and consolidate many of the existing codes of practice into one place. The code covers five key areas, the governing body, funding and investment, administration, communication and disclosure, and reporting to the pensions regulator. It's broken down into 51 separate modules and covers some 170 pages. The pensions regulator published the final version on the 10th of January, and it's expected to come into force on the 27th of March. Much of the content is very similar to the 2021 draft code that the pensions regulator issued despite the nearly three years of titivating that it's gone through. There are a few key points of difference just to draw out, though. The first is the own risk assessment. Since 2019, most private sector occupational schemes have been under a statutory obligation to operate a, quote, effective system of governance, which really all well-run pension schemes should be doing anyway. The code states that trustees of schemes with 100 or more members will be expected to carry out and document an own risk assessment to assess how well that effective system of governments is working and how potential risks are managed. Now, originally, the code indicated that trustees should be carrying out this assessment every year, but the final version confirms it's every three years. The next is on reporting payment failures. The final version of the code includes a new module on reporting payment failures. The pensions regulator noted that the new module was added following requests for clarity during the consultation process. Next up, we've had some guidance from HMRC on the changes to the lifetime allowance. You'll no doubt remember that the lifetime allowance is to be abolished and that there is a finance bill wending its way through the parliamentary process to do just that. The lifetime allowance was the maximum amount that members were allowed to save into a registered pension scheme in a tax-efficient manner. 
and was mooted as a factor that was causing a number of doctors to leave the NHS. Now, even though it sounds straightforward to abolish the lifetime allowance, pensions veterans will instinctively be cautious of anything that looks like simplification. And indeed, the removal of the lifetime allowance looks to be anything but simple. We have a new regime of lump sums and lump sum death benefit allowances, creating additional work for administrators, and there remain some unanswered questions. It was hoped that the HMRC guidance newsletter issued on the 20th of December would shed some light on the practicalities of adjusting to the changes. Unfortunately, the newsletter does little more than confirm the position under the Finance Bill. So, pension commencement lump sum will be limited to 25% of the value of the pension being crystallised, subject to a cap of 268000 and will be free of income tax. The introduction of a pension commencement excess lump sum, named a PECLS or a PECLS, which broadly replaces the lifetime allowance excess lump sum, and that the payment of any trivial commutation lump sums, winding up lump sums and small lump sums will not reduce a member's available lump sum or death benefit allowance. Now, we've had a couple of interesting cases from the pensions ombudsman on surplus distribution, which is topical given the number of schemes that are heading towards buyout where surplus becomes an issue. The pensions ombudsman has dismissed two similar complaints which challenge the respective trustees' decisions regarding the use and distribution of a surplus on wind-up. The two complaints highlight the decision-making process involved when trustees are considering how a surplus should be distributed and how the ombudsman will approach such disputes. In both cases, the ombudsman has upheld the right of the trustee to decide how to distribute surplus if they have been through the correct legal processes. In one of the cases, the members argued that the entire surplus should be used to enhance members' benefits in the fund. The member objected to the trustee's decision that only 50% of the surplus would be used to enhance benefits and the remaining 50% returned to the principal employer. The ombudsman dismissed the complaint, finding that the trustees had followed relevant requirements of the fund rules and interpreted them correctly, considered the appropriate factors in reaching the decision and made a reasonable decision. Whilst the decisions are comforting to trustees, it does highlight the importance of going through the right processes and also that members potentially have nothing to lose by sticking in a complaint about surplus distribution if they are disgruntled with the outcome. Lastly, a date for the diary. HM Treasury has announced that the spring budget 2024 will be on the 6th of March. So, a big thank you for listening to the session. I hope that you've enjoyed this whip through of the last couple of weeks. If you'd like to know more about us, check us out on Hogan Lovells Engage or click on the link. And we hope that you'll join us for the next one. Bye.